Hello, and welcome to Grain Insight, a CN update on getting your grain to market. I'm Stacey McCracken, and joining me is David Shednovic, Director of Sales and Marketing. David, today we're going to discuss the history surrounding CN's privatization back in 1995. But before we go there, can you give us an update on the results CN achieved in November for grain movement? Thanks, Stacey. CN shipped over 3.14 million tons of Canadian grain and processed grain products in November via carload, which is over 12% above the previous record set in 2018. And that definitely required close coordination in the end-to-end supply chain between all the players. Where does CN stand crop year-to-date on grain movement out of Western Canada? So through November, CN shipped 11.27 million tons of grain and processed grain products via carload from Western Canada, compared to 8.95 million at the same time last year, and compared to the three-year average of 9.1 million. In addition, CN has shipped over 400,000 tons of grain crop year-to-date direct from Western Canada via container, which is also on record pace. So how did November movement measure up against the guidance in the 2021 grain plan? Now, as a reminder, CN's guidance for maximum end-to-end grain supply chain capacity outside of winter between bulk and processed grain products is up to 7,600 cars per week. Remembering that in order to achieve those levels requires no mainline disruptions, fluidity across shipment corridors, seven-day terminal unloading, and other considerations. To that end, we had a wicked winter storm that hit parts of the western prairies on November 7th and 8th, and that significantly impacted the fluidity of the western network. The end of November saw two illegal blockades in the Vancouver area, one of which on Friday, November 27th, caused a significant number of trains headed to Vancouver to be held all the way back to Kamloops, in turn having a real impact on the Week 18 grain program. Now, in spite of some of those specific issues, during grain shipment weeks 14 to 17, CN average shipments of just under 7,550 cars per week, in line with the guidance in the grain plan. Take week 15 out, where the storm impacted the most, and it's an average of over 7,700 cars per week. Okay, thanks, David. Let's turn the clock back now and discuss the privatization of CN in 1995. The initial public offering occurred on November 17th of that year but there was a significant change at CN in the years leading up to the privatization. Can you provide some context? Well, first, I think it's worth mentioning for those interested that the commensurate work on this topic is entitled The Pig That Flew by Harry Bruce, and it is a great read. I also have copies to give to the first two individuals outside of CN who reach out and contact me on this topic via email. Now, Canadian National Railways came to be via legislation in June 1919. The agglomeration primarily of the Grand Trunk, Grand Trunk Pacific, and Canadian Northern. It was a crown corporation from that point on until privatization in 1995. In the early 1990s, CN's financial position was not strong and a significant portion of its rail network was significantly underutilized, especially in eastern Canada. Roughly 90% of CN's traffic moved on a third of its trackage, and while the amendment of the National Transportation Act in 1987 allowed railways more flexibility concerning the abandonment of unproductive stretches of track, the process remained complicated. CN was not a profitable enterprise, and prospects looked bleak in the medium term. In the preceding decade, traffic growth was minimal, while revenue per ton mile had declined significantly, due in part to the changes brought about by the amendment of the NTA. Something had to change. Who were some of the key players in the move towards streamlining CN operations and moving towards the commercialization of CN? In October 1992, Mr. Paul Tellier was appointed as CEO of CN by Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. Mr. Tellier came from the ranks of the public service, including being clerk of the Privy Council. His experience in public service would serve him very well during the events leading up to CN's privatization. He also hired Mr. Michael Sabi as Vice President of Corporate Development, who also came from the ranks of the public service, 
and Mr. Sabia eventually became CN's chief financial officer. Mr. Tellier moved quickly as an agent of change to streamline CN's operations and workforce. Recognizing the long-standing structural issues for Canadian railroads east versus west in terms of traffic density and network size, Mr. Tellier approached Canadian Pacific Railway with a proposal to merge the railroad's operations east of Thunder Bay. CN and CP entered into intense, lengthy negotiations, which CP subsequently broke off in the summer of 1994, instead proposing to CN to acquire CN's operations east of Chicago and Thunder Bay. Canada saw a change of government in 1993 with a Liberal government led by Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. In September 1994, Minister of Transport Doug Young created a task force concerning the commercialization of CN, holding hearings across Canada. In 1995, the task force recommended that the Minister of Transport commit to a process leading to the full commercialization of Canadian National Railways as a coast-to-coast mainline operation. During the 1995 budget speech, it was announced that the Government of Canada would take steps to commercialize CN. Minister Young was ultimately tasked with the responsibility of delivering on the privatization. He also brought together a very strong board of directors at CN to take the company through the commercialization process and beyond. Was there any substantive change in grain transportation policy at that time as well? Definitely. In the 1993-94 and 1994-95 crop years, the crow rate subsidy was scaled back and the Western Grain Transportation Act was repealed, eliminating the crow rate in 1995. In its place came the maximum rate scale, which was a cost-based method of establishing the maximum freight rate for the transport of grain to West Coast ports and to Thunder Bay in eastern Canada, applied in 25-mile increments. This approach was the precursor of the maximum revenue entitlement of today established in 2000. Furthermore, the process for the rationalization of the branch line network in Western Canada was streamlined. What happened post-budget in February 1995, and how quickly did the process move? Looking back now, it's striking that things moved so rapidly, considering what a mammoth undertaking the privatization was. The budget came down in February 1995, and by the middle of July, the CN Commercialization Act had become law. The privatization effort concerning CN also looked very different compared to the approach taken with the privatization of Air Canada and Petro-Canada, with the approach to effect privatization of CN 100% in one shot, rather than only selling a small stake to begin with. The government also made specific stipulations around the sale, including no more than 15% ownership by any single shareholder. Okay. Can you take us to the finish line on November 17th? Sure thing. The preliminary prospectus was filed in August 1995, with the IPO held on Friday, November 17th. Ultimately, the IPO raised $2.16 billion, which at the time was the largest IPO in Canadian history. Today, CN's market cap is approximately $100 billion. After the privatization, CN embarked on a terrific pace of growth, marked in large part by the acquisition of a number of railroads between 1998 and 2009, consistent with Mr. Tellier's vision of building the NAFTA Railroad. In the second part of this podcast, we will take a look at the CN of 1995 and consider how things have changed since. Thanks for your time, David. And thanks for listening to Grain Insight, an update from CN.